Open up to Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 25. Ephesians 4, 17 to 25. This past Wednesday, we changed the plan as to um, the direction of today's sermon. Our speaker, who was supposed to speak today, got quite ill. And so we've moved her message to next Sunday. So for today, we're going to push pause on our series on the landscape of life. We'll pick it up next week. And I'm going to take this morning, this moment to address another matter, which has been on my heart actually for several years. And um, all the more so in light of what's been going on in our nation. And it has to do with truth and falsehood. We're living in an age where truth I fear, is dying right before our eyes, and falsehoods are prevailing. And it's corrupting us, and it's destroying us. And guess what? The church is not immune. I grew up in a world back in the 1970s and the 1980s where truth was still considered to be good and to be important in the broader culture. Truth was worth seeking out. It was worth arguing over. It was worth debating. Truth mattered to people. And so for Christians, this meant that apologetics was especially important. Apologetics, among other things, is about demonstrating the truth of Christianity, the reliability of scripture, the historical reality of events which are in the Bible, and especially the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus all with rational arguments, with logic, with evidence, with research. And so we had popular books at that time, like Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict and More Than a Carpenter. And then a little later, Lee Strobel's books, like The Case of Christ or The Case for Christ. Well, then in the 80s and into the 90s, postmodernism came in and um, began to move out of kind of niche um, academic circles and Uh, began to influence the mainstream, and everyone began to question whether we could really know truth. Lots of people did anyway. Whether truth uh, actually existed at all, and whether we could know, um, if we could ever know or agree on what's true. And people became increasingly pessimistic that we could. And they began to say, there's no objective or universal truth. There's only your truth and my truth. Remember hearing that? What's, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And, and the conclusion at first was that, that we, what this means is that we all need to be tolerant of one another, right? Uh, we need to be accepting. We need to be inclusive. Let's just live and let live. Let's just love everyone. You have your truth. I have mine. That's fine. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. We'll just be tolerant. Well, as postmodernism was gaining steam, many evangelicals stood up and they forcefully criticized it. They said, sure, we should love one another and not be judgmental, but truth is important too. In fact, we as Christians are people of truth. We worship a Jesus who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And this isn't just true for us Christians. This is true for everyone, and everyone's salvation depends on it. And so many evangelicals argued against the evils of postmodernism and and redoubled apologetic efforts. Evangelicals argued for the truth. The truth mattered. 
After all, those who read their Bibles know how destructive falsehoods are, how the devil traffics in lies and and is the great deceiver who has gone about seeking to deceive the world. Well, meanwhile, despite anyone's efforts, postmodernism continued to grow in the, the 2000s and into the 2010s. And when there's no agreed upon truth that everyone can rally around, what actually begins to happen is that society begins to splinter and to fracture, which reminds me of, of a really insightful 90s song that was really popular in the 90s called Breakfast at Tiffany's. Some of you maybe remember it. It begins, you'll say, we've got nothing in common, no common ground to start from, and we're falling apart. That was the postmodern um, reality. The song actually, though, was about a guy and a girl and their relationship, but there, it was a metaphor for society as postmodernism was growing. And then the chorus goes, And I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? And she said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall, I think we both kind of liked it. And I said, well, that's one thing we've got. And the song is lamenting the fact that all this young couple can find in common is an old movie that they both liked. But again, it's a commentary on on postmodernism. If there's no one Meta narrative that's true for everyone. If if there's no one overarching story of what's really going on in the world, of what's really true that we can all agree on, and the only thing we have in common is Netflix or some movie that we all liked, then then all we have left is competing agendas and competing spins on reality. And, and so with this came the rise of tribalism. So you have the the LBGTQ community and you have minority communities, you have Black Lives Matter, you have white supremacy groups, you have evangelicals, etc. Each tribe, each interest group with their own truth, their own view of reality, their own narrative of what's going on and of who they are and of what's happening in the world and what's worth fighting for. And since there's no way of establishing truth among them, there's only power struggle and there's survival of the fittest. There's only each group pushing their narrative, uh, trying to convince others of it as a way of gaining power and prevailing in the struggle in society. And so for anyone under these circumstances to complain that their narrative is more true than others, um, it's seen as a power move over others, an attempt to oppress others if you're powerful, and if you're not, it's seen as an attempt to overthrow the oppression of others. Now, I remember watching postmodernism grow when I was in my 20s, and I was discussing all this in seminary, and and realizing if if, if this view continues, if there's no objective truth that we can all pursue and agree to, If we take all of this to its logical conclusion, then journalism is going to be dead, and justice is going to be dead, and science is going to be dead, and politics is going to devolve into chaos. All we have is is competing agendas and competing perspectives, 
and no basis to claim that one is more true than the other or that anything is false. If all truth is relative, we've got nothing solid to appeal to. And it will just be whoever has the most power who wins. Does that sound at all like the world that we're living in today? Well, along the way, the internet and social media came in and all of this just got amplified. It became easier for everyone to push their narratives as long as they could build up a following on Twitter or, or wherever. And anyone could make up a lie or, or a narrative and easily get it out there to others. And what would make it spread wouldn't necessarily be its truth, but its attractiveness or its emotional appeal or how well it was marketed or um, spread on social media. And somewhere along the idea, the idea that postmodernism would bring greater tolerance began to wither and die and fall off the vine, didn't it? And instead we have more hate and we have more distrust. We have yelling, we have shaming, condemnation, shunning, we have violence. And somewhere along the way, here's the tragic part, evangelicals got caught up in it. Evangelicals became just another tribe jockeying for political power and societal influence, pushing a certain narrative as a way of gaining political power and influence over others. Remember when Christians were a people of truth? Or better, when we aspired to be a people of truth? Well, whether or not you agree that evangelicals have given up on truth or, or, or lost a passion for truth, in case any of them maybe have, let's take some time to remember together why truth matters and why we are to be a people of truth. So let me again read some of the scripture uh, for this morning and listen to all the truth and the falsehood language as I read some of it again. The Apostle Paul writes, so I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your old way of your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul is very aware here that the battle for our world is a battle of truth, a battle for truth, and that the greatest weapons in the world are the weapons of truth and the counterweapons of falsehoods masquerading as truth, and that the way the enemies of God, Satan and his minions, seek to fight against God is through deception. That's why Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Truth claims and beliefs about what is true are powerful weapons 
Let's think about it. By offering so-called truth, the serpent got Adam and Eve to eat the fruit in the garden and to rebel against God. Because of what Christians believe is true, many have suffered for their faith. They have endured beatings and even death. Because of what they believe is true, patriots risk their lives to rebel against Britain and form a new nation. Because of what people believe is true, people have bombed abortion clinics. They have attacked police stations. They have looted businesses. They have shot and run over protesters. They have attacked our nation's capital. Right now, our nation is reckoning with the power of truth and so-called truth. The power of rhetoric, the power of narratives which claim to be true. So the pressing question of this moment is, what if what you believe is true isn't really true? The pressing question, uh, or this is the pressing question that has been so graphically played out these past two weeks, but not only um, these past two weeks, all summer really, and not only from one political perspective, but from both sides. What if you fight and you destroy and you even kill because of what's true, only to find out in the end that it wasn't really true at all? And I think what the moment we're living in illustrates and underlines is that truth still matters. That's why postmodernism is so destructive, and we're seeing its destructiveness all around us right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I have always believed that postmodernism has some merit. It, it needed to correct the, the modernist arrogance that we could solve every problem with our brains and by our rationality. And there are different perspectives and different sides to many stories. Some things that masquerade as true because they're widely believed really aren't true. They're just opinions or agendas um, as much as they're really true. And, and it's also true that if power pe powerful people can control the narrative of what's true, they can oppress other people. They can control other people and especially weaker groups. So I appreciate all of these insights that postmodernism gave us, but like a lot of flawed ideologies, it was an overcorrection. It was an oversimplification. It was a partial truth. And so it became destructive itself. And so more than ever, we as Christians need to take a step back um, and we need to remember humbly that we are a people of truth. After all, we are a people whose 10 commandments say, thou shall not bear false witness. We are a people whose savior claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our savior who stood before Pontius Pilate, his judge, and confessed, the reason I was born and that I came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate famously retorted, what is truth? Cynicism about truth is not a new or a postmodern thing. But we are, are a people, as today's scripture reminds us, who need to put off all falsehood. 
and to be renewed in our minds. And we need to live and to embrace truth. The truth about God, the truth about this world, the truth about ourselves, the truth about Jesus, the truth about our nation. And what I fear and what I see going on is that we're losing it. We're losing our grasp of truth. We're, we're forgetting to value truth. And, and we're giving up on our commitment to seek out the truth, especially when that truth is inconvenient or uncomfortable or not what we want to hear or it doesn't jive with our political beliefs and our political passions. And I've been pondering why this is. Why are so many Christians these days so lax about fact-checking what they read and see on the news and share on social media? Aren't we a people of truth? Why are we so prone to conspiracy uh, theories? Aren't we a people of truth? Why are we so trusting of, of what the politicians and the pundits that we like tell us? Aren't we people of truth? And let me suggest three reasons that I, I've been pondering as to why we may be giving up on truth, some of us anyway. First, maybe because our faith has taught us to be suspicious of what the world says, right? We're, we're a minority movement, sometimes persecuted, sometimes looked down upon by society. By our very nature, we believe many things that others say or assume are false. And so we're used to not necessarily trusting what the world tells us. We're used to not necessarily trusting what our kids learn in school, what we're taught in school, or what the news tells us, or what the experts tell us. We're used to disagreeing with mainstream opinions. And the good thing about this is that it can teach us to be critical thinkers, not to be too trusting or too gullible, or just to go along with whatever's popular in the moment. But the danger is that it can make us prone to conspiracy theories, to fringe opinions which aren't true, and in many cases which may turn out to be even less true than what the mainstream is saying. Second, second reason we may be, that I've been pondering as to, to why we may be losing our grasp on truth is that we're used to trusting our leaders and what they tell us. After all, and, and I'm talking about our local church leaders, if we can't trust the world, we count on a pastor or some elders or a Sunday school teacher or some Christian experts uh, that, we, that we trust to, to tell us what's true. And hopefully such people, the ones we know, have been generally honest with us. Hopefully they're informed. Hopefully they're seeking out truth. And if so, we assume, well, I can trust all Christian leaders, right? Even the ones I don't know, they must be like the ones I do know. I can trust national Christian leaders. I can trust national politicians who are sympathetic to Christians. After all, these people care about what I care about. They fight for the same values that I know we need to fight for. They quote from the same Bible. Surely I can trust them. And so we're trusting of what they tell us, and we don't bother to seriously or critically question whether it's actually true. And then the third reason I think maybe we're, we're losing our 
passion for truth, I think we're weary of trying to figure out the truth for ourselves. It's exhausting to fact check everything, right? And it's hard. It's not easy. There's so much information and disinformation, fake news, true news flying at us. Who can fact check it all to sift it out and to see what's true and what's not? And it's a lot of work to track down and to listen to all of the sides of a political debate on any particular issue. And it can be emotionally exhausting. And sometimes it makes our brains hurt and it's also confusing. Who has time and energy for all of this? We don't know. And so it's just a lot easier to say, I trust my leaders to be right. I'm gonna trust what they tell me. And it's also very tempting to say, I'm just going to believe what I want to believe about an issue or a circumstance or what my friends believe or, or what, I, what those I respect at church believe. That's just so much easier. But here's the danger of all of this. When we let down our guard and, uh, about seeking out what's actually the truth, we can wind up being lied to. We can wind up being deceived we can be, wind up being used and preyed upon by unscrupulous power players who have figured out that we're a gullible audience and that we're open to certain types of falsehoods. And when this happens, we're no longer a people of truth. Let me tell you a personal story about this. Uh, I lived for three years in my 20s in Washington, D.C. back in the 90s, and it was an eye-opening experience for me. I, you know, as a young adult, not that long out of college, was generally trusting, at least of, of Christians. After all, the people I'd grown up um, with, my parents, my teachers, my pastors, as far as I knew, they had been truthful and trustworthy. And, and so because I grew up in a conservative home, I grew up trusting of conservatives in particular. And I had been taught that Republicans were the party of morality and values. And meanwhile, I'd been taught that liberals were morally suspect. After all, Bill Clinton was president at the time. And, you know, for the people who had my ear, you know, for them, he was exhibit A of immorality. Well, guess what the painful discovery was that I made as I got to know lots of different political people in Washington, both uh, uh, liberal and conservative, as, as I was in and around Capitol Hill. I began to realize, as I got to know these people, some Democrats, some Republican, that both types of people are humans. And that both equally have human natures. And in the powerful, tempting environment of, of politics, you know, they talk about Potomac fever, both types of people are equally prone to spin the truth, to distort the truth, or to downright fabricate the truth. Yes, even conservatives and those who claim to be Christians. That was my experience. And, and let me give you my most painful example of this. I lived for a while in a group house with, with four other young guys. And um, one of them was a staffer for a, a Republican congressman. And this staffer, my housemate, was a very earnest Christian, very committed. 
In fact, he happened to go to a really excellent church, which was the same church that my girlfriend at the time went to, who's now my wife, Anne. And one time this guy um, shared with us some very disturbing news. President Clinton, the president of the time, had secretly built concentration camps in the West and had a plan very soon to load Christians in Washington on trains and to take them there. And then he handed us a binder full of evidence. It had pictures, it had reports, and he told us this binder was being passed around congressional offices by staffers, maybe by representatives too, I don't know, because it was absolutely important to stop this and to defeat this evil president with his nefarious evil plans. Well, as I absorbed this shocking accusation, I was so disturbed. And Anne was too, but she said, oh, it's all bogus. It's crazy. Ignore it. But I said, I said, no, this is, this is devastatingly disturbing, whether it's true or not. Obviously, if it's true, it's terrifying. But it's just as disturbing if it isn't true. Because that means that a committed Christian in a congressional office is working with other political operatives to spread terrible lies for purely political reasons to discredit a president that they don't like. And obviously, it turns out that's exactly what was happening. So I learned right there and through a lot of other experiences up close and personal in our nation's capital, not to be so gullible. Just because someone claims to be a Christian or shares my political views, it doesn't mean I should believe everything they tell me, especially if it's about politics. Well, guess what? These kind of people don't use binders anymore. They use email. They use social media. They use websites. They're even on TV and radio, and they write books. And they're sending you and me this stuff, and they're urging us to share it with others. And of course, it's not just conservatives who play this, these destructive games. Liberals do it as well. So question... Are you a willing audience? Or are you a person who cares about the truth? Do you believe and share what you hear because you like it? Because it appeals to you emotionally or because it fits your political perspective or uh, your religious perspective or, or what you want to believe? Or do you say, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but I'm going to ignore it unless I can verify its truth? because the truth matters. Are you committed to the truth, even if that commitment is uncomfortable and inconvenient? If you want to follow Jesus, if we are going to represent Jesus in today's world of lies, we need to be people of truth. We need to be people who want nothing to do with lies and who realize the world is full of lies, powerful lies, dangerous lies. And they're not confined to one political party or perspective or to those outside the church, unfortunately. So what can you do? What can we do if we care about the truth? 
What can we do to be a people of truth? Let me suggest just three things. There are others. But first, we can humble ourselves. We can repent. We can confess our failures to be people of truth. We can ask God's forgiveness for getting swept up in in the postmodern moment and going soft on truth. We can realize maybe we've been a little too gullible sometimes, like I was as a 20-something. Maybe we got caught up in believing what we wanted to believe rather than doing the hard work of seeking out the truth. Maybe we need to humble ourselves and remember that we're to be a people of truth. Second, we can have the courage to be uncomfortable and to seek out both sides or all sides of an issue. Make no mistake, seeking the truth is uncomfortable. I can tell you firsthand, when I want to know the truth about an issue, I read everything from very liberal sources like Vox and Slate and the Huffington Post to uh, very conservative sources like the Federalist and the New York Post and a lot in between, CNN, The Times, Fox, National Review. And by the time I get done, often my head hurts and often I'm confused and I'm angry. But, but it keeps me from running with one agenda and one narrative and one set of lies. But it's uncomfortable. But I'm seeking the truth, and often the truth isn't comfortable. And neither is, is listening to all the lies and the distortions that I have to sift through to try to get at the truth. And, and sometimes at the end of it all, I have no idea what the truth is. But at least I'm less likely to believe a lie or to share a lie. And so we can have the courage to be uncomfortable. And this is what it takes to be a people of truth. And then the third thing we can do, we can stop sharing things that we haven't fact-checked. Whether it's an email or a social media post or even something you saw on the nightly news. I realize we don't have time or or maybe the know-how to fact check every claim we come across. Fine, don't share it. If you don't know if if it's true, don't share it. Because believe me, let's not be naive. There are many people, Christians included, making up and passing along political lies and half truths. Half truths are the best lies, of course, right? Because they're partially true but not totally. And some of these half-truths are are so appealing or so alarming, we want so much to share them with everyone that we can. And maybe we're told we should. They seem so important. They seem so important to share, to get the word out. It's just that too often they're not really true. They're deceptive. And when we share them, we're inadvertently contributing to or cooperating in the spread of falsehoods when we're supposed to be a people of truth. And so we can not share them. We can ask other people we know as well if they fact-checked what they're sharing. And if not, we can ask them to fact-check it too. And all of this will help us to be a people of truth. So we have a decision to make 
which is, which is more important to us? To go the postmodern way and to fight for our tribe, to fight for our beliefs and our allegiances, no matter the costs, no matter the tactics, even if it means using falsehoods as a weapon. Or we can be committed to being people of truth, to stepping out of the battle, out of the fray, of competing so-called truths and saying, let's recommit to what's actually true with humility as best as we can figure it out. In our scripture today, that's what Paul is reminding us that that's who we are and that that's who we are to be. The world is full of lies, all sorts of lies and the enemy traffics in lies. But in the midst of this darkness, we are supposed to shine as a people of truth. And this is the only way that we're going to be a people of good news in a fractured and, and conflictual world. It's the only way we're gonna be people who worship the Prince of Peace and who are called to be peacemakers in the midst of a world that's spiraling into conflict, chaos and confusion. So let me pray for us as we close. God, it is so hard to know what's really true. And for some of us, it makes us very anxious. It scares us. And we want to grab a hold of something that we can depend on. And we confess that hasn't always been the outstretched hand that you are offering to us. And when it hasn't, God, we confess that we are sorry. And I pray that um, you would re-extend your hand to us and that we would grab a hold of it. That we would find truth in you and we would find a courageous resolve to seek the truth in you. Even if it's not popular, even if it doesn't always fit with our political commitments or our values, may we be a people of truth shining in darkness and um, God, we look to you as the truth to overturn the darkness and to bring light to this world. May we be part of the answer to that prayer. Amen.